Hey, you. Thank you for joining me for episode number 151 of Better Regulate Than Never. Okay, it's August 1, which means back to school. I know it's, I know I never wanted to hear it as an educator. I know students don't want to hear it, but it's also a really exciting time. I, I was excited about back to school my whole life when I was a student. I loved getting the new supplies, the new clothes, the new backpack, whatever. We didn't do backpacks really very much when I was in school, but like different bags or whatever. And I know I enjoyed it with my own kids, getting them ready. Now I get to think about grandkids someday going to school and getting all the stuff and it'll be so fun. So think about the fun stuff, even though you might also be like, oh, my schedule is going to be messed up and I'm going to have to get up early and all that stuff that even some adults don't want to do. I'm an early riser, but I have a lot of friends who are as old as me or older who don't like to get up either. So, but I have something exciting for back to school that I want to tell you about first, because I've talked a lot about UMAP and it's so important for everyone to have a UMAP. I just think that as soon as you have this information, it just changes so much about your life. And I am going to have some of my clients come on and talk about it. And so I'm kind of working with them right now to, you know, like what would, what are their takeaways from it and what are they getting from it? So I want to be able to share real life experiences with you because I think that will even help. But starting today, August 1st, I'm going to be doing a back to school sale on UMAP. So if you've been to my site, and you're like, eh, I don't know, because you're still unsure, it's going to be 50% off for until the 15th of August. So make sure that you put go to my website during that time so that you can take advantage of the 50% off sale. So I'm going to tell you about that. When you go, so the part on my website, there's actually a something at the top that says UMAP assessment. But if you're listening to this and you haven't been to my website before, if you just go to my website, which is betterregulatethannever.com, but you can go to betterregulatethannever.com slash programs, and then two different options will come up for the UMAP. And if you use the code back to school 23 and everything is lowercase, all one word back to school 23, when you click on to, to purchase either the UMAP all by itself and you don't get any coaching or you can purchase the UMAP and you get eight sessions to kind of go through the whole thing. And I have a whole process that we go through so that you really get the most out of it. But either way, some people are self-starters. You get a workbook with with it, even if you don't get coaching. So you can go through the workbook on your own if that's how you want to do it. It totally, it doesn't matter to me because like I said, some people want to do that on their own. Sometimes I'm one of those people that I'm like, oh, I can totally figure this out on my own. But you can also work with me. And so anyway, if you go click on either one, whichever one you're interested in, and then you put in the code back to school 23, it'll take half off. So do it now. And if you, if you're a parent and you have several kids, you can, you know, gift it. Or if you're a grandparent, I love gifting my grandkids, things like that. So if you're a grandparent, gift it for your grandkids, but it really is going to help them 
to start the school year in such an amazing way because they'll know where their strengths are and what they can, how they can use them best to be the best student, to be the best friend, to be the best club member or whatever it is that they're like interested in, be the best teammate on their team. And it's going to give them language to advocate for themselves in their classes and advocate for themselves at home about different things so that they can start using their preferred skills instead of their burnout skills and know what their burnout skills are so that when those skills are something that they're being asked to do in a class, it doesn't mean that they, they don't do them, but they know that, oh, that's one of my burnout skills. I need to do that in small pieces. I, I have a student that studying is their burnout skill. <laughs> I, I'm wondering if I, I, I don't know, I it would be interesting at the more kids I take through this to see who actually has studying as a burnout skill. But we talked about if studying is a burnout skill, then how do you, how do you make it in small chunks? How do you do it in a way where you can still do it and not get burned out? And I think sometimes people just try to power through some of this stuff. And sometimes we have to do that too. But let's do that less often so that it doesn't seem like you know, just so daunting and you just don't want to do it. Cause that's why people procrastinate. Cause they're like, ah, oh, I can't stand to do that. And I don't want to go through all of that. So there's just so much that this UMAP assessment gives people. And I just want to get it in people's hands before school really gets started. So this is the best, the best gift that you can give your child or yourself in this, when it, we're having this 50% off sale and you can use it for school. You can use it for job interviews. You can use it for scholarship applications. I know at the beginning of the year, you're still working on a lot of like college applications, scholarship applications, actually your whole senior year, you're going to be working on those type of things. And so this is the perfect time to have it so that you have all these words and all this information that you can put in there that is going to show why you are the best candidate for all of those things. So now we're ready for the actual topic this week about finding meaning in adversity. So I have had a pretty amazing life my whole life, and I am a very positive person. Positivity is one of my strengths. It's my number one strength that I found out when I did the UMAP. And some people find it really annoying. And I've been called a Pollyanna. I've been called naive. I've been called so many things my whole life. And sometimes I thought it was that there was something wrong with me. You know, why, you know, am I ignoring the bad things in life because I just feel positive about everything all the time? But I haven't had a lot of adversity in my life. I totally get that. I understand how privileged my life is and I check my privilege at the door. I try to anyway. And if I, if I don't, I want somebody to tell me so that I can, you know, really think about it. And it's something that I've had to, to work on because adverse uh, being privileged was not something that we really talked about when I was growing up. And I didn't even realize that I had it, but I know that my life has had a lot of good things, but I have had bad things happen to me. And if you've listened to very many of my podcast episodes, I talk about the bad things too. And I talk about the things that have been sad and my low times and times where I didn't like myself and things, times when I thought there was something wrong with me. And so 
you know, it hasn't been perfect, of course, no one's life is, but I understand that my positivity is probably easier to come by because really bad things haven't happened to me. But I listened to a book recently where I was like, oh, this is so perfect for me to hear and something that I wanted all of you to know about. So I think I've said this in a previous episode, but I'm trying to read some classics or read books that, you know, I love fiction and I love a good, you know, crime, murder, mystery, or, you know, like all that, that stuff is so fun for me, or like a family saga that goes on for generations, like all that stuff is so fun to listen to. But I do tend to ignore like those cla- that classic literature that we were supposed to read in school, or that just books that are just really meaningful and good. And so I've been looking up like lists of the top 100 books you need to read in your life or whatever. And so this book was on on one of those lists. And so I thought, oh, this is going to be good for me to listen to. And so it was Victor Frankl's A Man's Search for Meaning. And so Victor was an Austrian psychiatrist by trade. And he was alive in the 19, well, he was working in the 1940s. And he was put into a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. And he was in there for three years. And if you don't know a lot about the concentration camps, you know, there's lots of information where you can look it up and listen about it. But most people do understand at least something about it. And it was a horrific experience. And many millions of people died in that setting. And so half of his book is about his experiences living in the concentration camp and how he was taking his psychiatric training and his psychiatric theories that he was developing and had developed before he was ever put in that situation. And then he was like watching how they actually played out in a terrible, horrible situation. And so the second part of his book is about how that helped develop his theories, his psychological theories about people, humans, and how we react to things. And so he emphasizes in his book that even in the worst circumstances, which I can't think of really too many worse worse situations than what he was talking about, even in the worst circumstances that we all possess, we still, even in that, even in a concentration camp, we still possess the freedom to choose our attitudes and responses to that situation. And he argues that finding meaning and purpose in life, regardless of your circumstances, is crucial for our mental health. And I have thought that all along, but I kind of thought, well, my life has been pretty good. So it's easy for me to say that that is the way it's supposed to go. But now I have this proof of here's this guy who has, who experienced the worst thing practically that anybody can imagine. And he still was positive and he still chose to live his life and be excited about his life. Now that is amazing to me. So many people have said to me, it's easy for you to say, 
when they know that my life has been fairly good or, you know, the adversity that I've been through is minimal or not something that is a big T trauma. They were a lot of little T traumas. But when you think about his positive attitude and his optimism for life being in that situation, then I'm like, okay, this is something that people really can do. And he named his book Man's Search for Meaning because he proposes that our search, our whole life is a search for meaning. And that very search for meaning is the very purpose of our life. And I feel like that a lot of times, like I'm always searching for, you know, what's my role here? What's my contribution to this community and to this world? And I'm doing it. And I've been doing it. I did it in a different way when I was in education and I mentored and counseled and taught kids for 31 years. And that would be thousands and thousands of kids. That's a contribution to this world. And I'm still doing it, but I'm doing it from a different platform. And I'm doing it in a different way by reaching people all over the world who listen to this and watch this. And I actually work one-to-one and and do some group stuff with with people all over the world. And I'm so excited to be able to do that. And I want to keep doing it. I'm like, how do I grow this more? How do I tell more people about it? And I really do think that the search for this meaning, this contribution is the purpose of my life. And so um, in listening to this and listening to him say this from years and years ago, I'm like, okay, I think I'm on the right track with this. And he saw firsthand that 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 driving force, that searching for that purpose, even in a concentration camp where he was still searching for what is the meaning of this for me now? What is the purpose of my life going forward, even though my life might even be shortened? Then he was testing out these theories in the worst situations, and he came out alive saying, this is true. This really is the way that people are, this search for meaning is really so important. And he actually saw as he was watching the other people that were there in the concentration camp with him, he said that he could tell and his friends that were kind of going in his direction where they were trying to be more positive, they could tell the people that were going to die right away because the people that gave up and they gave up that search for what is the meaning of anything, they just like laid in their cot and and gave up their life you could tell that they were going to die soon. And some of them didn't just die in a gas chamber or being killed or shot or whatever the different ways you could die in the concentration camp by the the people that were the, the leaders or the people that were hurting and, and harming everyone. They might die in that way quicker just because they gave up or even just their bodies gave up because when you give up the search for meaning in your life, your body starts shutting down. And then they, you know, disease was rampant and starvation and all of those kinds of things. And you could live longer, even being starved to death, or you could live longer, even having a really bad disease. Because you someone who cares about their life and feels positive and has a meaning towards their life their body can fight those infections and fight being starved more 
or better than someone who's given up. So it's just fascinating. And, you know, there's lots of research and science behind all of this. I'm just telling you like the, you know, what I think about it or, you know, what I got out of the book, but I just find that to be amazing. So here's a quote from, or here's some quotes from the book that I really liked. Forces beyond your control can take away everything you possess except one thing, your freedom to choose how you will respond to the situation. And we all have choice. No matter what is going on in your life, we have a choice. I see so many people play the victim role and their lives just stay dull and at best, at best and tragic at worst. Even if you have a deadly diagnosis, you can choose to live out the rest of your, your time, enjoying what you can and being, being a contribution to your, your surroundings, or you can be angry and sad that it happened and then just give up pretty much instead of trying to find out what is the meaning and what you're going to do. I had a friend a few years ago that was diagnosed with cancer. And at first, like probably how most people, I mean, I know that sometimes people get a terminal diagnosis right away, but some people get a diagnosis and at first you're like, okay, well, what, what can we do? What are the, what's the treatment? How, what can I do to, to live through this experience? My mom had breast cancer 20 plus years ago. And, you know, that was our first take of, okay, yeah, breast cancer. Let's, you know, what surgery do you need? What chemo do you need? Let's get it taken care of. And she is still surviving after, you know, she's cancer free and it went away. The same thing happened with my mother-in-law. So there are what usually when people get a cancer diagnosis at first, there's just like, okay. And we, we, they do stay optimistic, like, okay, what can we do? What are all the things? And let's get it figured out. And that's how she was at first. And at first, those things were working and the chemo worked and the surgeries worked and like the things that she was doing were having a positive effect on it, which then probably helps helps her to feel a little more positive because she's like, okay, these things are working. But then the cancer got worse. There were different cancer went to different places in her body that she didn't originally have. And most of the treatments that she was doing weren't working anymore, but they did have one trial, a trial treatment that they were working on to see, oh, maybe this will work. So she turned in information to be part of that trial to see if that would help. And it ended up that her insurance wouldn't pay for it. And it was really expensive and she couldn't afford it. And then just a short time went by and then they were like, well, you don't even qualify for this trial anymore because your cancer is just too, it's just going too fast and it's doing too many things. And so at that point, they said, there's nothing else that we can do. And we give you about six months to still live. And she couldn't do anything about that diagnosis. Anyone who's had that kind of diagnosis can't do it. You can't change that. So everything in the world can be taken away from you, but you still can choose how you're going to react to that situation. And she was so amazing. She said to me, you are going to see me running around this town like crazy for the next six months because I have a lot of stuff to do. And that's, I feel like that's how I would feel too. Like, it's not that you want to have that diagnosis. It doesn't mean that she didn't cry about it or 
feel angry about it sometimes. And you do need to feel all the feelings because all the feelings are normal. But her main feeling was, I've got a lot of stuff to do. And I'm going to be running around here and I'm going to be so involved in so many things and go so many places because I have a lot to do in a short period of time. And so I got to watch her firsthand do all this stuff. And you would see her everywhere doing all the things and contributing as much as she could. And I don't think she actually, I mean, she maybe went on some short trips, but she didn't do anything extravagant. It was mostly like, I've got to contribute to this community as much as I can for the rest of the time that I have. And she had parties and get togethers and had her whole family come. And they did all these like different, like, bonding type things, which was so great. And she was very involved in our church. We both were at that time. That's why um, I saw a lot of this firsthand. And she was in as much stuff as she could be as long as she could be. And she even planned her whole funeral, like had a whole outline. And she personally asked each person to be a part of it. And she had personally asked me to sing with a group of other ladies. And she gave me this slip of paper that had all the songs that she wanted and how she wanted it to be. And that is the first time that I've been asked to sing at a funeral or do anything at a funeral by the person that the funeral is going to be for, which I actually, I mean, I just took so much information from her because I'm like, oh my gosh, this is totally, if I have time, if I'm not, if I don't just die quickly and I don't know it, if I know that I'm going to die, I want to plan my funeral too. I love planning my birthday. So why wouldn't I want to plan that too? And I remember saying to her, you know, I am honored that you're asking me to do this. I hope it's like years from now that I actually get to do this, but thank you for asking me. And I kept that little piece of paper and for a while, you know, we saw her quite a bit and then, you know, slowly she was too tired, too sick, too much in pain to be seen out and about doing all these things and for probably the last couple months, I didn't see her at all because it, it got to the point where she just wanted to see family and she was too tired to have very many visits. And then she was asleep most of the time when people did visit, but they did want it to just be immediate family that was doing that. And so she actually lived about eight months instead of six months. And I do think that she did get a little bit more time because she had a positive attitude about it. She probably would have died even before six months if she would have been like, oh, well, I give up. This is too hard. So she made a choice to live, truly live until she died. And we all have that choice right now. And truthfully, none of us know if we have six months or not. And sometimes we forget that we really don't know how much time. And so just choose to live amazing lives every day. That's what I'm doing. And I'm going to live up till the very end of whatever. How? And I really hope it's when I'm 100 because I have a lot of stuff to do and I have a lot of people to talk to and I have a lot of contributions to make. But even if I don't have as much time. I'm going to be living it every day, doing these things, talking to people, doing all the stuff until the end. Because even though my life has been privileged and you could say, well, easy for you to say that you're going to do all that because your life's been so great, but you can choose that even if you're in the worst of circumstances, even if you have been given six months to live, even if you are in 
hopefully there's no such thing as concentration camps anymore. But I mean, I, I guess I'm a realist enough to know that there's some really bad things that go on in this world still that we maybe don't even know about. And then there's certainly things that we do know about that we're still working on. So, but even if you've been given those kind of circumstances, then you can make a choice today that you're going to live and you're going to be positive and you're going to look to the future about what you can do. And if you don't want to take it from me, who has have a, had a beautiful privileged life, take it from Victor Frankel. Take it from my friend, Sandy. Talk to you soon.